My older sister has a birthday today. Uh, she uh, is uh, just 11 months older than me. My mom was mad. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> Uh, but she is like so many of us in, in the human race. Here's what I figured out about humans. We don't listen well, which is a sad thing for a preacher to say at the beginning of his sermon, right? Because now some of you are like, oh, that's me. I'm not going to listen to you at all. Anyway, uh, uh, but, but we just don't listen well. A lot of times we're so preoccupied with something that we could be in a conversation for a long time and, and, and look up and say, huh, which husbands do on the regular. Uh, or, or we could be, you know, uh, so consumed with something that we just don't even care what the other person is saying, and we just answer the way we think that we're supposed to answer. My, my sister, on one of her birthdays, we all, I think it was her birthday, but we all went out uh, together as a family one night, and uh, we were younger, and uh, she was 16, so it made it funnier when she did this. Uh, but uh, she, she walked up to the hostess desk uh, and wasn't really paying attention, and the hostess very sweetly and, and clearly said these words, how are you doing today? And my sister, startled by, you know, her presence, spun around and said, five! <laughs> it, you had to be there. What, what, what she had anticipated this, you know, hostess saying is, how many tonight, right? Uh, but uh, that wasn't what the woman said at all. And uh, we still make fun of her for it. It's just our family. That's what we do. Happy birthday, sis, if you're watching. Um, but we do, you and I do that all the time. We'll, we'll answer questions that haven't been asked. We'll, we'll uh, inject what we want to bring to a conversation, even if it's not about what we want to bring. And uh, that's where we find ourselves in the text that we're going to start reading this morning in Luke chapter 12, uh, as Jesus is teaching. Now, I'm not going to read a whole of Luke chapter 12. Let me summarize what's happening right up to the part that I'm going to read. Jesus is teaching on some deep stuff. He is really digging in with this group who is listening to him uh, about things like the gospel, uh, what it's all about. He, he's he's exp expressing to them that you know they, they need to have courage. They're going to be the ones who are carrying his good news uh, for him, you know, to other places, and so have courage. He he talks about um, the importance of um, you know um, the the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't be forgiven for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, what is that? Another sermon, I'll tell you. Uh, but but he, he's, he's into these really deep theological things. Even uh, he kind of finishes right before this guy comes into the scene. He, he finishes saying, listen, uh, you're going to probably be taken into custody for saying the things that I'm telling you to say. It's not going to go well for you. Here's what you need. You need courage and wisdom in those situations. I mean, this is, this is important stuff, right? And in the middle of all that Jesus is saying, this guy comes up to him and he says this. Someone in the crowd says to him, teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Non sequitur. That's Latin for stupid. No, it's not really Latin for stupid. It's, it's Latin for this doesn't belong here. One of these things just doesn't, remember Sesame Street? One of these, just, that didn't belong there. All right? That wasn't supposed to be a question that was asked in this particular line of conversation. This guy had come to this, uh, this gathering um, so consumed, we assume, with... with now, the fact that his brother, the older brothers, the oldest son, would inherit the entire um, inheritance of the family and then would be in charge of dispersing it to the other sons. Sorry, ladies, you didn't really get anything. Uh, but the other sons uh, who, who would take their cut from him. But apparently this older brother in this guy's house had not been giving this younger brother what he thought he deserved. And so he had come to the carpenter from Nazareth, the new rabbi on the scene. And he was like, all right, I'm going to get this guy to go all Wapner, all Judge Judy on this thing, and, and we're going to settle this right now. And so he just walks up to Jesus in the middle of Jesus' teaching and says, teacher, settle this. 
Jesus looks at this guy and says what probably most of us would say. He says, man, my emphasis added. But that's what I think he did. It was kind of like, you know, an ancient form of dude. Seriously? He hardly ever uses this uh, beginning when he addresses someone. He's so taken off guard. He's just like, are, are you kidding? Man, who made you, or who, excuse me, who made me a judge or an arbiter, arbitrator over you? Now, this is kind of some ironic stuff from Jesus, because just so we're clear, let me kind of take you forward in time. Jesus will be our judge. Everybody got that? Uh, there will be a day where either you leave this earth or he comes back, and then he's judging everyone. I hope you're ready. That's what we believe. But that day is to come. In these three years, three and a half years that he was doing ministry, in the 33 years that he lived here on our, our earth, uh, he, he didn't come to judge. He tells us that in John 3. He, he came uh, to save, uh, to, to draw those who were lost out of the dark and into the light. He wasn't a judge. He will be, but he wasn't in this particular time. And he was uh, kind of put off by this guy asking him to be a judge. I wonder if the guy uh, realized, oh, my bad. I probably shouldn't ask that question. Probably not. He was so focused. He was probably like, I don't care. Still, I want you to rule. Jesus wasn't about to do that. You, you read the stories of Jesus. He hardly ever answered a question that was asked of him directly and never almost did what it was asked of him to do. He was pretty smart like that. Uh, and so here he takes advantage of this non sequitur, this question out of the blue, and he uses this uh, time to teach on what we've been talking about, on, on the possessions that we have. He says this to the guy and to everybody else in pre uh, present. He says, hey, take care. Take care and be on your guard against all, uh, we translate the Greek word in the English Standard Version, covetousness, not a word I throw around. Greed, sound better? Uh, he was basically uh, hearkening back to the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment says, you shall not covet, and it goes on to list a bunch of things, but the emphasis of the commandment is not to be greedy, to envy or to want the things that you don't have. Don't, don't be obsessed with more. He says, take care and be on your guard. Uh, against all covetousness, against all greed, against all wanting more or too much. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He didn't live in America. Because that's like our motto. E pluribus unum, I think it means give me more. Isn't that what that means? It isn't what it means, just so you know. But uh, yeah, we as Americans, we are consumers. Uh, it is dog eat dog out there. Uh, we want to leg up. We want to climb the ladder. We want to have. It's a sign of success and prestige if you have more. Uh, they do reality shows about you. People follow you on social media. But Jesus says, that's not it. It's not it. More is not it. It's a common message in our Bibles. Paul wrote a letter to a pastor, a friend of his, a guy named Timothy that he had mentored he left him in Ephesus to be the pastor there, and we just got done studying that church for the past year or so in the book of Ephesians. But he, Paul writes this first letter to his friend Tim, and in the very ending of that letter, this is what he says to his buddy Tim. He says, as for the rich in the present age, as for the rich in your church, Tim, uh, charge them not to be, and the word is haughty, 
Not a word I throw around a whole lot, but uh, it basically means prideful. It means thinking you're something when you're not. It means looking down your nose at those with less. He says, make sure those rich folks. Has anybody met a rich folk like that? They're, uh, they're pretty sure that they're special. You ever been in a, in a, you know, in a restaurant or in some you know, retail environment where the person is just kind of, how dare you? Don't you know who I am? Yeah. That rich people, uh, not exclusively, but certainly are more prone to being haughty. He says, hey man, make sure the people in your congregation uh, who are rich are not haughty and, and make sure that they don't set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Uh, this is great. You don't even have to be Christian to, to know this is right, right? You just have to read financial newspapers and financial histories. All the people at different times in our history who banked on their bank, sorely disappointed. Like all the people who bank on a microphone can sometimes be. But all the people who bank on their bank, they, they, uh, they oftentimes can lose it. You know, uh, uh, in, the, in the 20s, the bottom fell out of our economy and uh, massive riches were lost in a matter of hours. Even in, in our recent history, was anybody around Florida in uh, 2007 and 8 and, uh, when the bottom fell out of our housing market? Maybe some of you are in that craze as the, as the, uh, you know, the equity in your home was raising during those great years. You uh, took your loans out so you could get all your toys, you know, and uh, then all of a sudden your house was worth half of what you'd borrowed. And then uh, your boss, because everything else was shrinking in our economy, called you into his office on a Monday and says, hey, by the way, you don't work here anymore. And all of a sudden, you had twice as much debt for half of a house and no job. And you had to make some moves because perhaps everything that you had banked on was no longer there. You don't even have to be Christian to know it's probably not as wise to just bank on your bank because riches are uncertain. But we are Christians or we're heading towards that, I trust, if you're here. And so Paul appeals to us on that level. And he says, don't, don't let the rich set their hopes on the uncertainty of their riches, but, but instead have them set their hopes on God. And then he does a play on words here, who richly provides richly provides us with everything that we enjoy. See, our hope isn't on our stuff. Our hope is on the one who gives us our stuff. Our hope isn't on the, the things that we have. Our hope is on the one that we have. See, I've been telling you through these last three weeks that God has a plan for our money. He's not against money. In fact, he's given us all that we have. If you have some, God gave it to you. He's not against you having money. He's not against you having more money. So you're like, oh, settle down now. No, it's, it's true. He's not against it. He's just against you worshiping money or misappropriating money, misusing what he's given you. He's totally against that. So his plan is this. We're, we're supposed to worship God first and foremost, seek him first in his kingdom in everything that we do. And then we use the money that he's given us for his glory in the ways that he intends. Full stop. That's it. That's how this is supposed to roll. It's the, you want to be right on the money? Worship God and use money for his glory. But so often, I'm guilty of this, I'm sure you are, when it comes to our money, we worship money, and then when it comes to our God, we often use God 
for the things that he can give us. And if some of us, you know, took a long look in the mirror, that might be the only, one of the only reasons that we're here. I'm in trouble. God, I need your help. Gimme, gimme, gimme. You're the pelicans on Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> you just want more. And God is just this, 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 you know, cosmic candy machine that you're just punching prayers into and pulling knobs and hoping you receive. It's not about the money. And Jerry Maguire it was, but it, it's not. It's not about the money. It's not about showing you the money. This guy who uh, had asked Jesus the question, he was obsessed with his share, his deserved cut, his more. But Jesus wanted to point him in a new direction in life to warn him. Even here, as Paul was writing to his friend Timothy, uh, he, uh, he reminds him of what rich people are supposed to do. In verse 18, uh, it says, they, the rich, are to do what? Good. To be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. Why? Because in doing so, they'll be storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. We talked about that last week, right? When it comes to our money, we should have this eternal perspective. This idea that how I spend my life now and what I have been given in life now shouldn't just be about now, it should be about what's coming. Amen. The life that is truly life. He's, that's what he says here. He says, help them to, to learn to be good and, uh, and, and rich in good works and, and to be generous and ready to share and store up uh, treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take in this life hold of that which is truly life. In other words, he said it specifically there, but he's, he's saying, you, you know what it is for the rich to, to, to have true life? It's, it's for those who have to be generous Generous with what they have. Generous is going to show up on the screen right here, yeah. <laughs> Being generous creates this, this future blessing. As we allocate and give and, and share with, of what God has given us, um, it makes a, different in the, a difference in the lives of the people that we share it with. I, uh, like many of you, uh, early on in my time here, I uh, got on board with a, an organization called Compassion International. I started supporting a young girl in Rwanda. Her name was Dativ. And Dativ was like seven or eight years old uh, when we uh, took her on and began providing her fees for her to be a part of this program. Well, about four years into our support of Dativ, we actually went to Rwanda, Eleanor and I. And uh, we called Compassion and just said, hey, we're going to be in Rwanda. We know it's a, a country. It's not like a city, but... Is there any way we could possibly meet up with the team? And they were, they were just all over that idea. Stink on a barking dog. They just loved that idea. And so uh, uh, we uh, got transport and she got transport. And we met in this kind of middle place. Uh, and we got to meet this young lady that we'd been supporting for four years. And I can't tell you how rich a blessing that was for Eleanor and I to lay eyes on this girl that had just been a picture on our fridge. You know, and to talk to her and to hold her on our knee and uh, to listen to her as she shared what she'd been learning in her classes that she would not have been a part of otherwise uh, if we hadn't been supporting her. We talked to her mom and we talked to uh, the people who were a part of her town who are running this compassion, uh, you know, branch and just the smile. It was just, it was such a, I'll never forget it. Now, take that experience 
And for everybody in here who was ever given to a church or a missionary, who has ever been a part of serving someone in your community by, uh, you know, giving of your time or your needs or, or, or for, towards their needs, giving of your, your own money, uh, let's say that, that uh, time ends today and you and I face that judge, our Savior Jesus, and then we go into this place that we talked about a few months ago called the Bama Seat and God runs our film. Uh, and then people who are all impacted by the things that we gave, come up to us and say, thanks, Sean. Thanks for being generous. I know you never met me. I know you never knew how those, those dollars made a difference, but they made a difference in my life, and I am here today because of you making the most of what God gave you. Some of you are reading those words that Paul wrote to Tim. Make sure those rich people, are, they, they do good, and they're rich in good works, and they're generous, and they're ready to share. And you're like, that's it, Paul, get them. You get those rich people. You tell them what's what. The rest of us, you know, less rich people, we're just going to keep doing what we do. But you get on those rich people. Well, if you're thinking that, you weren't here in the first week. Because in the first week, I explained to everybody uh, that for the most part, maybe not 100% in here, but for the most part, everybody sitting in this room is part of a family who is in the top 1% of earners on the globe. Because if you make $32,000 a year as a family... You're in the top 1%. And so if you came to Paul after he was writing these things to Tim and said, yeah, that's right, you get those rich people, Paul would hand you a mirror. And he'd say, I'm talking to you, bro. I'm talking to you, sister. I'm talking to all who have been the recipients of God's grace that it's time for you to understand that... Uh, the abundance of riches in this life, it's not about you. It's a test. It's an opportunity for you to order your life in the pattern that God has for you and to make a difference in your future and in the lives of those around you. Now, we talked about this last week. We talked about And in being faithful uh, to God and his plan, we determined that there's a certain order of things uh, I'll just start up here. Give, save, live. That, that's how I believe, if you take the preponderance of what Scripture says about money, this is how we're supposed to live. When it comes to the things that God has given us, our first priority is generosity. Give. Be in a position to give. Now, gratefully, is anybody grateful that God doesn't say, give me everything every time? He lets you live. He's not an, an unkind, unjust. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's a good God. He's, he's a gracious God. He doesn't want it all. But he does want your first priority to be him and whatever he asks you to give. Now, he, he would love for you also to be wise with your money. And part of being wise with your money is having some money in case God wants you to give in other times in your life or in case God wants you to be prepared for something that you don't know what's coming up in your life. He, he wants you to be wise with your money. So you save. And then after those two things have been taken care of, you live. But that's just not American. Because we're Americans, and so we want, and so we take out, give, and save, and we just live. In fact, we don't just live. We don't just take every penny that we earn and spend it right up until we get paid again. A majority of our culture spends what they have, and then they borrow more so that they can keep up with their neighbors, so that they can have what their parents had after 30 years of marriage in their first year out of college. We're not a wise bunch. It's getting worse, by the way. College debt, the kids coming out of college, more and more kids are going to college, yay. More and more kids own a house that isn't really a house once they get out of college, boo. 
because they got hundreds of thousands of dollars of college debt. Then they start living, and then they start bringing the credit cards in, and they start living. And, and uh, the, the, sorry, youngers, your generation is the least likely to have enough to retire in all of the history of Americans because it's just not a concern of yours. It's not a concern of lots of people and lots of generations. Uh, sometimes we're really sloppy with our money. That's why I've talked to you about the, the importance of the first week of being grateful. We need to be grateful, right? And then last week we talked about being faithful, and, and that's what this is, living in the pattern that God has for us with our money. We actually give classes that uh, can help you. In, in one of the classes that we are going to start offering around here, again, uh, at the beginning of the fall in September, is a class called Financial Peace University, uh, curriculum that's written by a guy named Dave Ramsey. He's on lots of radio shows and billboards. Uh, but what he says makes sense. What he says lines up with the Bible teaches about how we should live. And if you've never taken a class on how to run your money, why? Go find out. Don't be embarrassed. We're Americans. We're lousy with money. Go figure it out and figure out a different way to live. Live in the freedom that God meant you to live in. Sign up for that today. With the time I have left, I want to go back to Luke 12 and just uh, briefly finish uh, what Jesus started there. This guy comes up and he says, settle this dispute between me and my brother. And he says, hey man, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life isn't about what you have. And then like he so often does, he tells a story. And then the story that he tells today, this parable that's written down in Luke chapter 12, he's going to answer this question. What keeps us, what keeps humans from being generous? I wonder if you would just turn to someone right now. I know it's mid-sermon, but just turn to someone right now. Tell the other person what you think keeps humans from being generous. What are the things that keep humans from being generous? Go ahead. Okay, we want to get out of here. So, Tobin, did you even talk? Hoon, you didn't talk to him, did you? You didn't say any, did you? For the people who did talk, what did you say? Greed. Who said greed? Anybody say greed? We're going to talk about that because that's what Jesus talks about. Anybody get another one? Fear. Who said fear? Okay, we're done. Did you? You didn't say fear, Tobin. Did you really? Who's sitting next to Tobin? Did he really say that, Mark? Did he Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I, I, you probably, might, some of you might have had other things, but I'm going to tell you this. Probably everything you came up with fits under those two categories. Greed and fear. That's why people don't give. Would it surprise you to know that those are the two things Jesus tells his story about? Greed and fear. So what keeps us from being generous? Let's start with fear. Because in the story, you're going to see a guy who just is obsessed with storing more for me. That's his priority. More for me. Keep it, keep it, keep it. Don't share it. Jesus tells them a parable. It says in Luke 12, 16, he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Okay, time out. Anybody here grow up on a farm? I actually lived on a potato farm my senior year of high school. Fascinating experience. Farmers work hard. Uh, they, 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 you know, are at the mercy of the dirt and the rain and the sun. And, and huge advances have been made uh, by God's grace. Uh, we are able agriculturally to produce more than we can use as a culture, country, okay? 
Uh, but there are seasons when certain farmers do not find a yield. And it's not because they didn't make the effort. They did everything they could. They did everything right that should have produced a crop. But guess what? In the end, it's not up to them what comes out of the ground. It's up to the God who made the ground. It's up to the God who sends the weather or keeps the weather the way it should be. It's up to the God who is in control whether or not a farmer gets a crop. But you're going to find out really early on this story that's not how this farmer thinks. It says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's the doxology I grew up listening to every Sunday, right? But he thought to himself, what, and watch this, this is very important. Jesus does this for emphasis. Watch how many personal pronouns there are in this guy's talk. He says, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store, whose crops? My crops. <laughs> now that shouldn't have been a problem for a, an Israeli uh, farmer. Because the Old Testament was really clear about what farmers need to do with their crops. In fact, every farmer was told, don't, don't harvest the corners of your fields. That's for the poor and the needy and the aliens who are passing through the land of Israel. You reserve portions of your fields for the needy. All right? Now, maybe this guy had done that. We don't know. Uh, but he still had this incredible, plentiful harvest. Well, there are other other standards that are spelled out in the Old Testament how Jews should handle their more. In fact, they, they basically imply this. If you have more, it's so you can share. If I have more than I need, that more is for sharing. And that's not lost on us. Anybody ever been out to someone and just can't finish what you're eating and you ask people at the table because they're family and friends, hey, anybody want a bite of this? Anybody ever done that? It's because you got more than you can eat. Sure, you share. I had my birthday and Father's Day all in the same weekend last weekend. Glorious, glorious days. Uh, uh, but I, <laughs> for me, and, uh, uh, and so I got, you know, I, people, my family was nice to me. Some friends were, you know, gracious enough to get, I'm wearing my, this is my birthday shirt. Thank you very much. It's got the flap in the back, so I'm ventilated right now. I can go fishing right after this if I want. It's awesome. I also got some gift cards to my favorite restaurants, Chipotle, Outback, some different places like that. I'm a huge Mission Barbecue guy right now, and so someone gave me a, a gift card there. And, and you'll be glad to know that as I got those gift cards, I saw an opportunity. I could take people out, and I could pay for their meals and provide for them with these gift cards, and it didn't even hurt. Isn't that fun? You know, you're out with some friends, and they're like, oh, here comes the bill. Don't even worry about it. Wha-bam! Birthday, right? It's a blast. I got all these golf balls. I'm a golfer, and so I got all these golf balls. I got too many golf balls. I'm filling up the back of my truck. And so uh, I took the more inferior golf balls I'd received, and I, <laughs> I'm being honest. But I brought them in to, uh, uh, to our staff meeting on Tuesday morning. And I just said to a bunch of guys who hardly ever golf, hey, anybody want some golf balls? And they were gone. Everybody took them. Because that's what you do. If you got too much, you share it. Do you? Well, yeah, Mark. Do you? Or are you like this guy? Well, I got more than I need. What am I going to do with it? Here's his answer. He said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. And I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all of, there it is again, lots of eyes, and my grain, 
and my goods. This guy's a good American. If your house is too small to fit your stuff, you get a bigger house. Honey, we need a bigger box. And if that box gets too small, well, you go rent another box. You go to one of these storage units and you get an apartment for your stuff that you can't fit in your house. God bless America. Hey, we joke and laugh, but isn't that a little silly? Somebody like, oh, but you know, I inherited that stuff. Hey, you know what? If your parents are gone, God bless them. I pray they're, you know, in heaven. But if they're gone, I bet you they'd be fine with you giving their stuff to someone else. Everybody gets that their stuff is not them, right? But it reminds me of them. Well, okay. Are you going to forget about them if you give away the dinette set that you're not using, that you're paying money that you could be giving to someone else to keep in an air-conditioned unit? Seriously, if it can't fit in your house, it's not for you. If it has to sit in your garage for years, I've moved boxes in our garage for four moves. From garage to garage. We don't need it. You don't need it. Oh, hey, careful, Mark. I didn't know you were going to do that. I'll share my gift cards. What do you think? What what do you think the writers of the New Testament were talking about when it extolled and, and, and lifted up the church for selling all their possessions and having everything in common? Why'd they make such a big fuss about that? Because Christians in the early church understood it's not about our stuff, it's about each other. And it's about each other having enough so that we can honor and glorify God with our enough. I, th- I think the reason he built the barns, tore down perfectly good ones, by the way, and then built other barns, uh, was he was a greedy uh, jerk. We'll get to that in a second. But I think somewhere in there was that other reason that we just gave for why people are in Genesis. He, he, was, af- he was afraid. Listen, I, make hay while you can make, who's ever said that to someone? Make hay. Hey, man, make hay. You know what you're saying? It's a farmer thing. You're saying, listen, when you get hay, harvest it and hold it. Make hay while you can make hay. And that's what this guy's doing. And everybody's like, so what's the big deal? Well, I think behind his building the bigger barns was him thinking, you know what, if I just have more stuff, if I have more bank, if I bank on my bank, I'll be able to provide for my future. And ipso facto, I don't think that's the right Latin there, but also... I won't have to depend on the God who actually gave it to me. I can just depend on my big barns. Don't miss this, Christians. Don't miss the the little insidious, almost imperceivable lack of faith that comes with storing up your stuff. Because what you're saying is, and and, and there's there's a... Man, there's a delicate balance with this because I'm telling you to save. I'm not telling you not to be, you know, wise with your money and save. But but I am not telling you to depend on your money as if you don't need God. Because the God who brought you what you have will bring more. Does everybody get that? That's why Jesus is so fussed out about, listen, don't worry about what you eat or drink. 
Listen, look at the birds. Jesus takes care of the birds, and how much more valuable are you than sparrows or ravens? Look at the grass. How resplendent is the flowers of the field, or are the flowers of the field? If, if they're more beautiful than Solomon's white robes, then how much more will God care for you who are not grass? He says, don't worry about your have. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of the rest of that stuff. But here's what we do. Amen. And then we hold on to everything we got as if those words aren't true and as if the God who commanded them is not able to provide for us. If you're worried to start giving because you're not going to have enough, man, I'm sorry that you don't believe that God can provide for you. And I'm not saying be unwise, but I am saying if you're waiting for the right time to start giving, it's now. You will never have the confidence in yourself and in your things that everything will be taken care of. But here, how about this? How about this as something different? How about we have a confidence in a God who has already given us all that we have to continue to provide for us if we don't have this because we gave it to someone else? We haven't been given a spirit of fear, Christians. Over and over, the Bible tells us fear not. Why? Because fear is the absence of faith. But it's not the only thing that keeps us from being generous. Making life about me, that's the huge one. Because ultimately, when it comes to giving, I usually don't give or tip or do whatever I'm supposed to do in certain situations with my money because I just don't want to. I'll keep that. Thank you very much. I do tip. My daughter is a server. My wife was a server. I tip great. <laughs> but there are times when I give, and I give begrudgingly. Anybody ever done that? You know what that begrudging feeling is coming from? Sure could use that. Wish I still had that. I'll confess this. There have been times when I've read my giving statement from Bay Life Church at the end of the year, and I'm like, wow, what I could have done with that. Anybody ever done that? You know what that is? That's the me in you. That's the flesh. Wanting, desiring. It's your appetite for more. That's what this guy was full of. He just wanted to take care of himself. That's why he built the barns. It says in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, this same guy, this same farmer, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Way to go. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Because what I have is all about me. What I have is all about my comfort. What I have is all about what I have. But Jesus flips the script like he always does in his parables. Probably everybody in the crowd is like, yeah, that sounds right. Retirement, get enough and stop, woo! Sorry if you were sleeping. But Jesus says, that, that's not what happened with this guy. He says, verse 20, but God said to this rich farmer, he says, hey, fool. Whoa. You remember that uh, Jesus, when he was uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, said, 
You've heard it said that you shall not murder, but if you call someone a fool, it's as if you've murdered them. Anybody remember that? God just, okay, God didn't commit murder, but God doesn't throw the word fool around just for anybody. But he looks at this rich, in the eyes of everybody on the world's uh, plane, a successful man, and he says, dummy, idiot, fool. He says, this night, your soul that you're going to eat, drink, and be merry with, this life of yours is required of you. You're dead. And the things that you have prepared for yourself, well, who's going to get those now? You? No. Here's kind of side door what Jesus is saying. Hey, man, either you give it away or I'll give it away. You decide. So, he says, verse 21, is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Hmm. Uh, I've, I've tried all weekend to kind of get to this point, and so Darnish is going to come up. We're going to finish because we've got to go home, but Here's why I think God wants us to be generous. It's not because he needs our money. Does anybody think God needs our money? No. Owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Owns everything. Okay, he doesn't need your money. His church, and this is a risky thing for a pastor to say, but his church doesn't need your money. He'll figure it out. He's God. Now, that said, on the flip side of that, God wants everybody who is a part of his family, everybody who calls on his name, uh, to be generous. Why then? If he doesn't need it, Why? Well, it's not for his sake that we give. It's for our sake that we give. Here's why. He wants you to give so that your money does not have you. You can have your money, but God does not want your money to have you. And so one of the best ways that you can uh, create in your life to make sure that your money doesn't own you and that you are not run by what you have is to give it away. If it's not there, can't own you. He wants you to experience the blessing of giving. Because if you've given, and many of you have, I know, I'm so grateful for the many of you who have given. But if you have given and you have seen the impact of your generosity in the life of someone else, like we saw with the team, or that, you know, so many of you have done this. If you've seen the power of generosity at work, then you know that that's a feeling unlike other feelings that you have in life. You, you can't experience it apart from being generous. And so God wants you to experience the blessing of generosity. He wants you to be free from worshiping money. He wants you to experience the joy of being generous. And then this is the big one. He wants you to be like him. Does everybody get that that's what this discipleship thing is about? That this following of, of Jesus, this, this seeking after the kingdom of God, it's about us becoming less and less like we were without him and more and more like he is now that we're with him. And if you're going to look like God, you better get generous. Because there is no person in existence more generous than the God who loves you, who saved you through his son, who blesses you and I with everything that we have. He is generosity. And so if we seek to be like him, then that's just how we'll roll. So you don't give out of need. In fact, some people give so as to receive. That's just, that's, that's from hell. Don't give so that you might receive. It's not a gift. 
Don't just give because there's need. Listen, there's been times here as a church that we have been in need. Budgets have gone down. I don't know if you pay attention. It's on the back of the bulletin. But sometimes we're behind. Okay? I, don't, I try in those seasons not to get up and say, hey, we're behind. In fact, you haven't heard me talk about uh, giving for two years. Not because I don't like talking about it, but because I don't want to reactively talk about it because we're behind. Because then, what, what happens then? We give because there's need. Okay, is that horrible? No. But that's, that's not giving from a, a heart that just wants to be generous, that wants to be like God, that wants to give as God gives. If we're just waiting for the prompting because there's a need, we're just paying a bill. It's like, it's like what's going to happen at lunch for you guys. Here you go. Can't leave until you're done with that. That's not how I want you to give. I want you and I to give because God has given to us, because God wants us to be like him, because God wants us to experience the blessing and the joy of being generous, and because God wants us to, sa be, uh, to save us from the power that money can have over us. So what are the keys to being generous? Just real quick, and we'll sing. Does anybody notice we hadn't taken the offering yet? That's coming. We're, I hadn't forgotten. Some of you are like, he, for, he forgot again. If you're, if you're new to the church, I forget all the time. I purposely held off because some of you for the first time are going to give today. I pray by the grace of God, this will be the first time you give. But if you're going to continue to give, and it's not just a one-time thing, here's, here's the keys to us being generous, okay? It's how it's worked in everybody's life here if they're generous at all. You plan to do it. You plan to give. You make it a discipline. You, you, you turn your life around from just live or for just live and maybe save uh, or live and maybe save, and if you have any left over, give. You turn your life around and you make the first priority of your life to give. When Eleanor and I get paid, the first thing that happens when our paychecks come into our bank is that the first transaction the next morning, we've ordered it this way, is that Bay Life Church gets the first fruits of every paycheck we get. And, and don't, that's just how it should be in, in what, from what I read in the scripture, is that we give first. And it makes it real simple. That money's gone. We, we're not tempted to spend it. It's not even there. We don't even think about it in our live. It's not there. Plan to give. Plan how you're going to do it. Plan when you're going to do it. And then plan to do it. Then start to give. So you're like, well, I don't know how much. Preachers usually give a percentage. In the Old Testament, it was 10%. I don't preach the, the, the strict tithes. Some of you may believe in that. I, I, I always see that as kind of a, a way to create a ceiling of your giving. I'd rather not have 10% be the end game of giving. Maybe you're supposed to give more than that, and so give more than that. It's probably a floor more than a ceiling. But some of you can't begin to give that because you're just not ready to do so. Here's what I'll tell you. Give. Give what God leads you to give. Uh, as he changes your uh, station in life and the, your opportunities in life, give more as God leads you to give more, right? But just give. Give faithfully, consistently. Plan to give, start to give. Stay ready to give more is the last thing. Stay ready to give more. Here's the deal. I'm so grateful, and I'm looking at many of you. You faithfully have, have been uh, generous to God's church. You have... You have been a part of making ministry happen here for years and ministry in other ways happen for years. Thank you so much. Be careful not to just set it and forget it. Be careful not to constantly be asking God, is there ways that I can give more? You know, I, I did just a quick review of our budget the other day. I have all this money going places that go nowhere. I pay for a gym I don't go to. 
Some of you are like, we'll go to the gym. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> but I got apps that I don't use that money's going towards. These are all opportunities for me to pull back some of the waste in my budget and, and perhaps use it in ways that would glorify God and make a difference in people's lives. Just be careful that you don't set it and forget it. Always be ready to give as God leads. And so now, we're going to give. May God lead. Can I pray for this offering? Lord, as these ushers come and we prepare to take these gifts, I know the temptation is going to be for a lot of people to stand up and walk out because we're done the service. Would you just uh, keep us all here, God? Even if we're not given, just lead us in this time to be available to you, to be generous as you lead, to sing our gratitude to you, to glorify your name, I pray in Jesus' name. series. Are you grateful? Yes. Are you grateful? Yes. Are you grateful? Yes. Then let's go live in that. Let's go with what God has given us and make much of it for him. God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week. God bless you.